in every paradigm shift, the entities and the investments that had um, been so successful in the past and that base their future on the past are the ones that have the most to lose. Hello, my friends. I wanted to give you another update with regard to our financial situation. We are in actually for a monumental paradigm shift. And with us to discuss this again is Drew Mason. You'll remember before when that first of the major U.S. banks crashed. We covered it right here. But there's been a lot of activity uh, in the last three weeks. So we want to have this update for you with Drew Mason, our partner at St. Joseph's Partners, uh, who's working with LifeSite News on providing you and your family some security by way of precious metals. This is the Jonathan Weston Show. Stay tuned. Hello, LifeSite friends. To celebrate the momentous overturning of Roe v. Wade, we at LifeSite have minted just under 10,000 brand new limited edition pro-life silver rounds. Each round is stamped on the back with an image of the Supreme Court of the United States featuring the date that the High Court delivered this historic victory. And on the front of our pure silver rounds, we feature LifeSite's logo, surrounded by brilliant sunbursts and draped with olive branches, and each round commemorates LifeSite's 25 years of pro-life, pro-family reporting in America, Canada, and beyond. These one troy ounce rounds are 0.999 pure silver, and LifeSite has just under 10,000 in stock. They're beautiful, historic, and forever enshrining the most important American pro-life victory of a generation. This first edition LifeSite Silver Round is the perfect gift for yourself or anyone you love that collects precious metals and is passionately pro-life. And each purchase helps directly fund LifeSite's pro-life and pro-family mission. This is the first precious metals collectible of its kind that is directly supporting LifeSite's worldwide mission that you know, love, and trust. And now it can be yours while limited supplies last. Get your one troy ounce rounds of 99% pure silver today by clicking the first link below and celebrate life with all of us at LifeSite News. Drew, welcome back to the program. Praise be Jesus. Thank you for having me, John Henry. Let's begin as we always do with the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. So, Drew, lots has been happening. Please fill us in. Thank you, John Henry. So, when we last taped three weeks ago, it was the day the news was coming out that Silicon Valley Bank Corp was uh, closed, and there was speculation about what would happen. And what we counseled was that we should all hope for the best, but prepare for the worst. All these claims that everything was going to be fine rang hollow with what had happened in the past and how similar claims had fallen flat. So there's been so much news flow over the last few weeks, it's hard to summarize all of it. But I think for viewers, I would try and narrow it down three uh, specific points to underscore what has happened. The first is, now that we have a little bit more visibility into SVB, we understand what happened was the banks were given this loophole and how they accounted for their bond holding. Specifically, when financial institutions own securities, generally they're obligated to do what's called mark them to market. So if it's worth $10 today, they report it as worth $10. If it's worth $5, they report it as worth $5. Banks, however, were told that they could just carry on their books their bond investments 
at the price of their original investment. They didn't have to mark on the market. So these banks literally had over a half trillion dollars of bonds. And as the Fed raised rates, the value of these bonds came materially lower. So the argument was, well, we're just going to hold them until maturity. But the problem when the rubber meets the road is if depositors come and say, give me my money, the banks can't sell those assets at their where they're carrying them on their books. They don't have enough money to meet the deposits. So what happened was the government came in and with record speed expanded the Fed balance sheet back towards the all-time highs and injected $160 billion into the system. They won't tell us which banks took that money, but there was $160 billion claimed so that there would be solvency in the near term for the banking system. So that is hugely significant um, for investors to just really get their heads around the precariousness of what's at stake here, given these decades of debts. The second thing I would highlight that has happened since we last taped was JP Morgan, one of the world's largest financial firms, admitted that they had entered into contracts with the London Metals Exchange to own commodities. So think of paper gold, such as many investors have. They entered into these commodities contracts that were supposed to be backed by the actual commodities. That's the whole integrity of the exchange, it's supposed to be the integrity of the financial system with all the regulation and oversight. And what was, under, uh, what was discovered was that instead of having nickel, they had actually been given bags of worthless pebbles. And that's all they had. So again, would just say to investors, if the largest and most powerful financial firms are being fooled like that in the markets, doesn't it make sense? Isn't it prudent to have some concern about having all of one's wealth tied up and just trusting the integrity of those of the system when we're seeing these warnings? And then the third major point I would highlight has been a culmination of announcements where we are now seeing country after country moving away from its exposure and its dependence on the US dollar. Just this week, we saw Japan announce they're gonna begin buying oil from Russia in non-dollar um, contracts. We saw India, I and mean, these are our, our major partners, India saying they're gonna now trade non-dollars. So 80% of the world's population is now committed to moving away from the dollar. And so as Americans, we have to realize we have such exposure to the dollar. And in every paradigm shift, and that is what is going on, because for all of our lifetimes, the dollar has been the sole reserve currency. This is, we believe, a major paradigm shift, unlike what we've seen happen in 50 years. In every paradigm shift, the entities and the investments that had um, been so successful in the past and that base their future on the past are the ones that have the most to lose. And that's what we see, again, most financial institutions and most investors doing today. It is simply impossible to protect oneself from systematic risk within the financial system. If you're trying to protect against these stresses in the financial system, you have to do it outside of the system. And that is what gold has done for families for centuries and even millennia. No matter what is happening at the local or the government or the financial level, Gold has transcended the issues of the day and preserved wealth. So we think that um, the urgency is as high as it's ever been in our lifetimes for people to allocate towards gold for its safety. 
And if people are worried, if they feel stress when they're watching the news and when they're understanding what's happening, it's probably a sign to them that they simply don't have a sufficient allocation to position themselves for what their gut and what their hearts and what history are telling them is what lies ahead. If you can unpack some of this for us. So you mentioned about the metals exchange with the banks and uh, getting bags of pebbles instead. Unpack that for us, if you will. Today, most financial advisors make a concession. They say, okay, to their investors, if you want to have some gold, we'll buy it for you in paper contracts, such as the GLD. $60 billion approximately is invested by families, by traders in the GLD. However, they can never take delivery of the gold. So the counterparty risk in such paper investments is stuck, it's, it's still with the system. So even though you have diversified from theoretically a stock or a bond to a commodity, to a real asset, that asset is dependent upon the integrity of the exchange. And it just goes without thinking. I think everyone here knows and is nauseous about all the regulations that are in place and, and on, on all of us and on all these corporate entities. But despite all that regulation, no one was actually checking the commodities. No one was checking the integrity of the system. And that was what happened when JP Morgan was caught that way. Now, again, we hope that was the only issue that will ever, ever surface again. Um, however, if you have a major financial institution admitting this, how, less, how much less do individual investors know? How much more important is it, again, to have some wealth outside of that system where a primary benefit of physical gold is that it's in your possession. You don't depend on anybody else to deliver it to you. You don't have to wait for the stock market to open if you want to sell it or liquidate it. And that, we think, is a key lesson from what came out about the London Metals Exchange issue. So one of the things that's interesting there, I mean, you deal, your company deals in um, gold, not only in physical gold, but also in gold investments. And yet you're telling people it's time to invest in physical gold, get it yourself and hold it yourself. Absolutely. So that really is the focus of what we've done for over a decade, John Henry, physical gold, physical silver, take delivery of the metals or, or however you wish to um, you know, uh, safeguard them, but get the physical metal that is entirely yours, that is not leveraged, it's not hypothecated, you know exactly what you have. And that again and again through time has made all the difference in the world to families. I don't know if I've shared this before on, on a show, John Henry, but I'd say the neatest part about our job being in the gold industry are the people we meet, the families we meet. And so we have clients who are Jewish and they tell us if we didn't have physical gold, our family would have ceased to exist. You know, we used it to get out of Russia, to get out of Germany, to get to America. And then when they came to America, they weren't poor because they still had a pocket full of gold and they used that to buy a home, start their business. Same stories we have from our Asian clients coming, especially from what's now known as Vietnam, where they saw communism coming in. They buried some gold in their backyard. When the communists took over, they let things settle down and they went down to the port. They got their way onto a, a freighter. And when the freighter came to San Francisco, they still again had a pocket full of gold. They bought their home, bought their business, and it was transformational. So 
we're not saying by any means this is about Armageddon. It's just the opposite. We've got we've had 700 case studies where governments have gone down this path. They were overly indebted. The sun came up the next day. It was just a question. Were investors, were families prepared? Had they been good stewards? Had they diversified their wealth away from real estate, as our Jewish friends tell us was so important for them to do, into something that they could, uh, that was liquid, they could take with them, they could give them if they needed, and it would preserve wealth. So gold is uh, an asset that should be the cornerstone of your safe investment. So you may choose to have you know, almost all of your wealth in aggressive investments where you can make a fortune if it works out well. But you understand, you have to understand in those types of investments, you could lose everything too as part of the investment risk. Whereas for some portion of your wealth, you should have a safe money allocation. Historically, in our lifetimes, that's just been dollars in the bank, right? The dollar has been the sole reserve currency. However, the dollar, although it's been spectacular at convenience for transactions, it gets an F, gets a letter grade F for protecting and preserving wealth. The dollar has lost over 95% of its value since the Fed was created. Whereas gold, as the safe money allocation within your portfolio to complement your dollars, gold has done just what investors would want. It has preserved their wealth no matter what the stress. Okay, so unpack for us also, if you will, what does it mean that the American dollar is not going to be the dollar for trade? It's used around the world, um, you know, for trading in oil and stuff like that. But what does it mean and what ramifications will it have uh, if the U.S. dollar is no, no longer used in that way? So there have been, uh, I believe, six occasions now in history where one country rose to such dominance globally that it was given the, the uh, title of sole reserve currency so that when two nations traded, they wouldn't trade directly in their own currencies. They would trade in the sole reserve currency. The initial case of that was the Portuguese Escudo back in Columbus's days. The most recent example of that was Great Britain and the, and the sterling from Great Britain. That changed as Great Britain lost its manufacturing prowess in the 1800s. It lost that sole reserve currency also. In all those cases, from the Escudo to the sterling, when those countries lost that status, the purchasing power of those currencies was impaired severely. So what happened after World War II, there was what was called the Bretton Woods Agreement. Much of the world was in shambles after the war. And as global leader came, American statesmen negotiated that all global trade would be done in the US dollar. So if you were Russia and you were buying oil from Saudi Arabia, Russia would have to first convert into US dollars and then sell those US dollars to Saudi exchange for having oil sent to them. So it's what they call an exorbitant privilege that all other nations should have to do this. Well, again, we have these case studies in the past and as countries have lost their dominance and they've lost manufacturing leadership, those windows have closed of sole reserve currency status. And what that allows a country to do, so for example, in that Russia, Saudi Arabia example, Russia has to go out and buy dollars in the marketplace. So if the market, if the market is strong for dollars, Russians have to really pay up to get them. In contrast, is the United States is the sole reserve currency. If we want to buy oil or whatever we want to buy, we don't have to go out and use our assets to buy the currency. We just print the currency. It's free. It's like monopoly money. 
So this has been an extraordinary advantage for America. And it's something that is Americans, uh, Americans have benefited from um, for really their whole lifetime. So what has been happening, and it has accelerated since the US government has chosen to weaponize, is the expression, the dollar. I mean, the idea is always that a sole reserve currency would never be used for political purposes. If, if the nation's people were going to trust a currency, it was uh, obligatory that you would honor their investments. Since the US stopped doing that, we've really seen an acceleration of countries moving away from the sole reserve acceptance of the dollar. So that now, again, over three quarters of the world's population is, is trading, uh, at least to some degree, in other currencies. So what that will mean is, at some point, you're probably going to have some countries say, we don't want your dollars. If we, we don't respect the value of the dollar because of the way you're treating it. So if you want our asset, you have to pay up with another currency or an asset. All of a sudden, the printing press has ended. And then it's a very different situation. So the implication to us as individuals, as families, as investors, is that we're talking about the dollar potentially losing an enormous part of its purchasing power. This has been happening since the Fed was created. From the time the Constitution, when the founders of this country said the only legal money would be gold and silver, up until when um, uh, the gold was confiscated, the dollar worked perfectly in preserving wealth. Since that time, actually since the Fed was created, the dollar has lost so much of its value. However, it still has the value we know today. As the sole reserve currency status wanes, history says to expect that may have cost you $10 today to buy, may cost you 20, may cost you 30, may cost you $50 to buy in the future. So the significant is as Americans, we have so much exposure to dollar in terms of cash, CDs, money markets, bonds, treasury bills. We have all of that risk in an asset who's, who's in the twilight of its, of its existence. One of the things that I got your help with as well, and I thought that was fascinating, is when people choose to invest in precious metals, it's not only just go out and, and get the biggest chunk of gold you can, you actually laid that out for me. If you could do that for everybody, I think that was fascinating because I think for people who, we don't have a lot of money to invest, but we want to have some savings savings in, in gold or silver to protect our families. How do we do that? for the average family that really isn't all that wealthy, but just wants to protect themselves. Okay, so the biggest concept I would wanna leave with viewers to, talk, to walk away with is the question, what is gold? And the answer is simply, <clears throat> gold is money. It's a money that no government can destroy by printing or by policy errors. So when you get gold, it can come in multiple forms. The cheapest way to buy it per ounce <clears throat> is a 400 ounce bar called a standard bar because it requires the least manufacturing and least handling. The, the cheapest way to buy gold in a form that no one would melt, they took it from you because they would still have conviction it was real, would be 32.15 ounces, the kilo bar. However, a kilo bar to, at today's prices is over $50,000. So if you want to exchange that for something, you have a narrow set 
of assets that you can trade for. So for that reason, governments, including the US at its founding, chose to make gold and silver coins so that it would have intrinsic value for the owner, but it would be small enough that it would be easily exchangeable for many more items. So at the end of the day, we're agnostic as to what people want to buy. If they say, we want the cheapest bar, we can have it. If they say, we want a currency that people will recognize, we'll direct them in that manner. So a coin may cost 3% more than say a bar approximately, but the advantages of it that some choose to take are threefold. First, the coins are very, um, they're more easily um, uh, recognized as being real gold. Meaning, for example, when the Canadian Mint makes a coin, they tell you what the width, the circumference, the height, the diameter are. And you simply can't get any other element in those dimensions because gold is its own unique element on the periodic chart. So when you have a coin, you have this ease of determining that it's real gold immediately. Secondly, if you have a one ounce coin versus say the 32 ounce kilo bar, you can do 32 times as many transactions with someone. And then thirdly is just the liquidity. So a coin now is worth one ounce coin, $2,000. Again, the bar $50,000. History suggests gold is probably going a whole lot higher. So when it does, that bar is gonna be worth a whole lot more than 50,000. Isn't it good to have something smaller that you can trade more easily? Silver was highlighted by our founders because they knew the working class needed to be paid in a, in a money that would be uh, safe for them. And because they knew that that is what would be needed for day-to-day -day transactions for groceries. So a one ounce silver coin, I call it $30 today, probably going to you know multiples of that is more ideal for the very tiny day-to-day -day transactions. So right now people will say, you know, if I go into my grocery store or if I go to a car dealership, if I offer them gold or silver, they're not gonna take it, they want dollars. It's absolutely true. At this point in time, you have to convert your gold into dollars. And that may continue to be the case. History says it won't, but it may. In the meantime, what we see happening is the value of the dollars is decreasing and gold is maintaining that purchasing power. However, what we've seen throughout history is when there is uh, the maturation of a currency crisis because there was too much debt, there comes this moment in time where if you are uh, selling fish at a store or if your store sells meat or if you sell, sell shoes or suits, whatever you're selling, whatever the asset is you're selling, you, you ask yourself, do I really want this monopoly money for my asset? What good is it going to do me? Then the question becomes, well, what am I going to take for my fish, for my assets? What do I want? What's gonna preserve my wealth? History says, give it five days. From coast to coast, everyone will remember gold and silver are real money that preserve wealth. And that then the person who has a fish store can then take that gold or silver and go and buy shoes or whatever else he wants with it because the owner of those assets will also remember the value of having wealth in physical gold and silver. Hmm. Now, you said five days, interestingly. What was that a reference to? So like right now, again, if we go into stores and we say, here, I want to use silver to buy food. They're going to say, we don't take silver. But at some point, if history plays out, 
And if there's a crisis of confidence in the value of the dollar because it's an unbacked paper asset that's just been printed into oblivion, what's that store owner going to face? He's, he has a dilemma. What can I take as a store owner, as a seller of an asset that will preserve my wealth? I don't want the paper money that's unbacked. Today, you go and you say, go or sell. They say, we don't take that. Historically, five days, and you will see recognition come into the marketplace that gold and silver our money that I as a store or I as an asset, as a seller of an asset can accept that when I give my asset away, I'll be given something that will maintain its value. So we think that's how brief the wake up period will be when, you know, if we should say, if there is indeed this continuation of history and there is a problem with the purchasing power of our unbacked currency. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you're talking about a precipitous decline in value of the American dollar uh, to to levels that sound like what rupees are today. Rupee is the Indian currency, and uh, today I see the one U.S. dollar is at I think 82 rupees. Um, I don't know that you know you talked about getting to a really low value, but imagine that where we're buying a loaf of bread, and instead of paying the normal two, three, four dollars we're paying. You're paying like $25, $35. Unreal. Um, John Henry, about that, just to mm -hmm. let you know, and this, this for the audience hasn't been scripted at all, John Henry brought that up. This year, 2023, it's fascinating how history plays out, is the 100th anniversary of Weimar. You may remember stories in school where in Germany they had to take a wheelbarrow full of money to buy a loaf of bread that was Weimar, and that was 2023. And in the beginning of the year, I'm so sorry, yes, 1923, exactly. And in the beginning of the year, there was this gradual erosion in purchasing power, and then it just accelerated. So, um, so th that is very timely. You bring that up, John Henry. And if I had said to an American back in 1971, when Richard Nixon looked in the camera and looked in the eyes of Americans and said, the dollar is no longer backed by gold, but don't you worry, it's gonna be just as valuable in the future as it is today. So if I had said to those Americans, instead of it costing $35 to buy one ounce of gold, it's gonna cost you $2,000 to buy that same ounce of gold. The value of the dollar would erode that much. Americans wouldn't have believed it. And that's where we are. But where we go from here, History again suggests it's, it's gonna continue lower. We have not found one example in history, John Henry, where an overly indebted currency that couldn't pay back its debts ever saw uh, uh, a resumption of its prior purchasing power. So it's about diversification. You just diversify some of your wealth into gold, and then you have this natural hedge for your family, for your, for your assets. And before we close off, I wanted to ask you, Drew, the last time we spoke, three weeks ago now, um, we talked about doing an Esther fast, which was, um, at least on your part, super hardcore. It was going to be uh, giving up all food and water even uh, for three days. I was uh, doing only the uh, bread and water fast, but how'd it go? Well, thank you, John Henry, and thank you to everyone who fasted alongside of us in some way, made some effort, and for your prayers. We made it. You never know for sure going into something like that if you'll be able to make it, but we did. And we went in, John Henry, 
unlike any of the other Esther fasts we did with a real soul request of the Lord, give us the guidance or, or what are the baby steps that we need to take to win back our country? Because we can all see reason is out the window. Just nothing is working as it should. What do we need to do, Lord? And I must confess, John Henry, that we were really disappointed in, in what we heard. And I want to say to the audience, it's not like we hear a voice of God regularly, but what we find is that when we're you know, praying and fasting, ideas will float through our mind that are new to us and they have a staying power. It's not just like this thought that comes and goes. And when those ideas do not contradict the commandments or scripture or teaching, then it's up for discernment about whether they are from the Lord or whether they are from the enemy. And what we thought we heard at the end of our Esther fast, three days fasting was, before you take back the country, you must first take back the church. And again, this was not what we had really wanted to hear because we're very anxious to see our country take a turn. However, you know, if you're seeking the Lord and you think you hear something, you can't just dismiss it. You have to accept it, embrace it, and move on. So that is what we think we're charged to do right now. Believers need to realize the Ten Commandments are written in the order of importance. The first commandment's the most important. The tenth is the least. And the first three of those commandments are all about God. So when they asked Jesus what's the most important commandment, he said, love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your might. Period. Stop. End of story. Stop there. Later on, when you get those first three perfect, then you can look at the next the next seven. So we think we really, we want to encourage people to repent on those first three commandments, which are no other gods beside God. So look for idolatry in our lives. I am so guilty of this, the worst sin of all John Henry. I think I mentioned it on your show before. Money had been a God for me, football, putting things above God. And if we spend most of our prayer time praying about something, even if it's a loved one, we probably have to check that. We should be praying for the kingdom, for the Lord, and trying to make him our soul king. The second of those commandments is not taking the name of Jesus in vain. And we were, we were recalling um, what we understand happened years ago, centuries ago, millennia ago, when the Lord God the Father said he was going to reveal the name of the Savior. And the angels were just waiting for years with bated breath. What is this name going to be? They knew this was such a powerful name. And when God the Father revealed the name, Jesus, that they just fell down, they were in awe. They never would have thought for a moment that years later, believers would lose the appreciation for the power of that name. How many times does scripture say it simply? Our help is in the name of the Lord. So this second commandment to turn from cursing the name because society tells us that's the only name it doesn't want to hear. But instead of cursing it, to speak it, to actually go out and to speak it with reverence and to let the power of that name begin to fill in our society. And then having, um, and then the third uh, commandment is the Sabbath. So choosing not to work for your business, at your home, to just study on the study Sabbath, relax, study scripture, relax, enjoy your family, not to work on the Sabbath. There's more written 
about that one commandment than all the other commandments combined. And his words were precise. Don't work and don't have anyone else work on the Sabbath. And I think we also, as it relates to that, want to be conscious. We've lost an appreciation that although we're to go to church on Sundays because he commanded us to celebrate the Eucharist, that we are not to receive the Eucharist unless we're in a state of grace. And one of the great saints of the 20th century, Conchita Cabrera from Mexico, went so far as to say, when we receive Jesus in communion, if we're not in a state of grace, it's more painful for him than Good Friday. And you hear that, you think that's got to be impossible. But as you reflect on it, I think this future doctor of the church was probably very inspired with those words. So those were the, the things we heard first about repenting. The second point was to pray and fast, which this group already, I think, largely does. Um, Jesus asked us to pray, can you not watch one hour with me? We're encouraging you commit an hour a day. We encourage you to do it during the fourth watch, three to 6 a.m. So many people have called in and told us for years they were waking early and they didn't know what, why that was happening. They actually thought there was something wrong with them. That is probably the Holy Spirit coming to you in that hour, telling you he wants to talk with you. That's the hour, the period, the fourth watch, when scripture tells us the spirit most wants to talk. That's what we see Jesus doing, going out during that fourth watch. That was and it's when, three to six a.m. Just so everybody knows. Yes, and and scripture is explicit. It was in the fourth watch when he came and manifested himself, treading upon the waves, as he came to the apostles in the boat, walking on the sea. Um, and then the third, uh, so that's praying and fasting. And again, we're, we say we're obligated to fast Wednesdays and Fridays. That's what the Christians wrote in the first century and how they lived. That you read in the Didache. Correct. And we think, as we've talked about in prior episodes, John, we can triangulate on that as being in the Bible. Just like the Bible doesn't explicitly say abortion is sin, but we can triangulate on it. And the Didache says abortion is sin. The Bible doesn't say Wednesdays and Fridays, two days a week, but we can triangulate on that. And the Didache explicitly says Wednesdays and Fridays. So. Prayer and fasting is the second of three points to take back our church. And the third point, John Henry, is we believe now is the time to imitate our Savior and to throw our bishops and our cardinals out of the church like he threw out the corrupt Pharisees, clergy in his time. And, you know, we don't say that lightly, but Jesus was clear. If the fruits are not good, it needs to be uprooted and thrown out. So we are endeavoring to dispose of, destroy the USCCB. Ever since the US Council of Catholic Bishops was founded, every quantifiable statistic in the church has imploded. It's been an absolute disaster, no matter how you measure it, vocations, participation by families, attendance and, and faith of the youth, everything has imploded under their auspices. And this shouldn't be a surprise to us because Jesus told us there were going to be wolves in sheep's clothing. St. Paul said to us, he was so concerned that as soon as he left, that was what was gonna happen. Wolves in sheep's clothing were gonna raise their heads. And we see this with the great saints telling us this was the case, whether it's St. John Christendom. Fulton Sheen told us not to expect anything from the bishops in terms of renewal and Mother Angelica. She said she would burn her network to the ground before she gave it to their control. What are these saints seeing? They are seeing what Jesus was warning us about. So don't let it discourage you that we have to do this. 
the ambush is over. We've been ambushed by our clergy, by our church leaders. And now we have this state that almost looks like rubble compared to where we were years ago. It's okay. All we need is the Lord. All we need is to follow him and he will, he will, he will rebuild this. John Henry, um, as we think about that, we want to say to people also, do not support financially your diocese. Do not support it. Doesn't matter if the bishop's nice, he's a great dinner guest, he has some good plans. They have been complete failures in fighting the, the atrocities that have happened to our children, to our families. Now people will say, well, what do, what do we do? Because we are obligated to tithe. But again, as the Didache said, hold your tithe until your palm sweats, until you know for sure that your tithe is going to a good source. So we have to find causes of evangelization that are worthy. And if your parish is great, don't support your parish if they send a portion of their proceeds to the diocese. So people are gonna say, oh, every church is gonna close. Don't worry, the Lord doesn't need the church system as we have it. Go to your parish priest and say, Father, I like you, this is a wonderful parish, but if you're giving our money to the bishops who have been so evil, I can't support you with my cash. So Father, let me tell me about your heating bill. Tell me about your electric bill. There are ways to keep it open without supporting the bishops. We think we absolutely are called to do that, John Henry, at this moment in time. And we think, John Henry, that you know the news sounds so horrific about what's out there, whether at the country level or the church level. But we want to conclude from our Esther fast with an incredible note of optimism. So again, I, I know we're gonna be skewered for saying something like this, right? We don't know for sure if this is authentic we're hearing from the Lord or not, but as we were wrapping up and we were praying, this picture just floated into our, our minds. And we were standing on top of a mountain and there was a huge runway ahead of us, big enough for a 747 to land. And it was twilight, so the intense direct sun was gone, but it was the ambient light was enough that you could still see colors. And the sky was that beautiful silvery blue, light blue, Madonna blue. And in the distance, we could see the lights because it was dark enough of the plane headlights lining up to come in and land on the strip. There were three or four of them, you know, way out in the distance in a line coming in. And then the next thing we knew, the sky was filled with planes, with their headlights filled. It must have been like on D-Day when the Allies came to rescue Europe from the Nazis. It was, the planes were everywhere. And the thought came to us, what air tower can land all these planes, get them to safety? It's just so many of them. And the thought came, the Holy Spirit can. And we think that's what's happening. We are on the verge of this massive renewal that's coming, that is going to be so exciting. We think it's the renewal that was prophesied about in Revelation. And so I wanna make sure we leave that point with viewers, don't dismay. Satan wants you to be discouraged. Satan wants you to focus on the negative. Jesus has all the solutions we need. Him. And we have wonderful moments ahead, John Henry. Yeah, I think a lot of people um, will wonder how to 
uh, keep their donations from going to support particularly bad bishops. Um, and that is doable. If you designate on your check that your uh, donation is to go to your church's heating or whatever, they've got to respect that. Um, so you are able to support your parish while at the same time restricting your funds from going to the diocese. So there are powerful ways to do that. And I think Father Altman has been saying that for years, that the way we need to change things is exactly that, to do what is in our remit, and that is the purse strings. That's what we have. That's what we give. And I know that the USCCB especially, uh, the most of the, actually the Western churches, have been taking government money um, and using sort of church funds from the parishioners to supplement. Um, and that's why the USCCB, for instance, is so heavily into this sort of um, work with immigrants and all this stuff that they're doing that's being criticized very heavily by people on the right. But it's because they're getting billions of dollars out of doing it. So unbelievable. Um, I think we're going to have to pick your brain some more, Drew, on because we get the prayer, the fasting, but how to exactly confront the bishops, how to, as you said, throw them out of the church, um, which in a lot of cases is very well deserved. So you mentioned there, um, Father Altman, John Henry, evil has unintentionally done us a great service. Again, don't worry about anything. Don't worry about, well, who are the leaders going to be? Evil has highlighted for us the... Um, uh, the pool of great priests that we want to have as leaders. All the priests who have been canceled, that's who we should be looking to as our future leaders. Now, to be clear for viewers who may not be aware, a canceled priest is not someone who has been guilty of any misconduct. Canceled priests are priests who speak out conservatively, who speak out in alignment with the, with the gospel, and then their bishops shut them down. So we have this the stable full of great leaders who God is raising up, who will lead the church. Now, in terms of the individual details, John Henry, I think I would suggest to readers, to, to viewers, that it's a little bit like the most famous painting, the only painting I'm aware of, that heaven ever designed and commissioned and delivered, and that's Guadalupe. And if you look closely at Guadalupe, you can see there's the slightest bend in her knee where it's like she's taking a baby step. And I think that's what the Lord wants us to do and what she is calling us to do is to just take a baby step forward in faith. Forget about needing some spiritual director to tell you everything in your life. That is such a faith killer. Again, you have to discern it to make sure it's not something that is against the commandments, against scripture, against teaching. But then listen for the Holy Spirit to lead you, to guide you in little ways. And then take a baby step forward in faith and we'll see how this unfolds. But we're praying, we're fasting, we're repenting. And whenever God's people did that in scripture, victory was theirs. So I think, John Henry, we're kind of in this situation today that we read about in scripture. And we say, how could the people have forgotten how important it was to repent how could they have fallen into those sins again we're in the same boat right we haven't been repenting we've fallen into everything that figures in the old testament um, fell into when god let them have themselves uh you know let, let them to themselves that's what's happened we've told god get out we don't want your wisdom we don't want your laws 
and look at what's happened. We have the rubble to show. Now, however, his love is so great, his mercy is so great. When we repent, we're praying fast, and he'll open up the way. Um, um, our expectation is that we'll see wonderful renewal ahead. Indeed it is. You know, that congeals so well with the uh, devotion of the Holy Face, which is all about uh, reparation, uh, especially for sins against the first three commandments. In fact, the tablets of Moses, there were the three commandments on the one tablet, and the other tablet had all seven. Fascinating stuff. Drew, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, John Henry. God bless you, and God bless all of you. And we'll see you next time. Hi, everyone. This is John Henry Weston. We hope you enjoyed this program. To see more like it, be sure to hit the subscribe button below to get all the latest content from LifeSite News. Check the links in the description to read more and connect with us on social media so that you can stay up to date with all the latest life, family, faith, and freedom news. Thanks for watching, and may God bless you.